Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you're with us at Wyoming Valley Church this morning. Happy June to everybody. It's a sunny day. We'll take that right on a Sunday. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I really am. I'm, I'm looking forward to these days. So glad you're all here with us. We're going to continue our series on the church this morning. I think we told you a, a week ago or two weeks ago, we had a little outline we were going to follow. We've actually modified that outline. I think it might be on your bulletin. Uh, we had four lessons that we were going to go over as our series in the church. We're actually turning it into a five-lesson study. And so we've talked about what church two weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Mel spoke on why church. And today, we're going to speak about who church. A little bit different than what church. So we're going to, we're going to add a couple, one, a couple lessons onto this. We're going to talk about how church next week. Pastor Mel will speak on that. And we will finish on Father's Day with the church. So I hope you look forward to this study. This study has been really good for myself, for Pastor Mel, and I hope it has for all of you. You guys have heard the old jokes, you might be a redneck if, right? You remember Jeff Foxworthy? I don't know when those were popular, 20 years ago or so. They, they were popular for a little while. I'm just going to share a couple of these, and you'll see why in a little bit. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy said, if you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, you might be a redneck. If you ever used an ironing board as a buffet table, you might be a redneck. I like this one. If you missed the fifth grade graduation because you had jury duty, <laughs> you might be a redneck. Well, I took those jokes and I sort of spun them uh, to use for my own purposes. <laughs> you have 10 walkers who go to Wyoming Valley Church with you. Ten. That's a lot of walkers. So what we're going to talk about here in a little mo in a moment here is you might be a walker if. I have a few things. Yes, I'm, I'm going to embarrass all of us, myself included. But you might be a walker if, and I have several things. I want you to listen to these in case you don't know us very well. Okay? You're going to get to know us here quickly. You might be a walker if you actually walk very little, but you talk nonstop. <laughs> You might be a walker if you've spent quality time in both Montrose, Pennsylvania and Berlin, Germany, and you have souvenirs in your home from both. You might be a walker if people ask you to speak at their church, but also to please refrain from singing when your microphone is hot. Uh, you might be a walker if your directional ability to get home has led you to discover unknown tribes and villages. <laughs> You might be a walker if you have a license to carry concealed antibiotics. <laughs> you might be a walker if you think Excedrin is a daily multivitamin. You might be a walker if you have to duck to get your head wet in the shower or to look in any mirror. You might be a walker if your first car leaked gasoline, screamed like a red fox, and smelled like a bucket of KFC chicken. <laughs> Mine actually did. You might be a walker if you go to the chiropractor and get a massage every week and still have neck issues. How is that possible? You might be a walker if you've lived in the boonies, the ghetto, and a college dormitory and you have the scars to prove it. You might be a walker if you claim to not like pets, but you've had four cats, three dogs, two chickens, and a pony. And I'm not embellishing. You might be a walker if you think Amish country is God's country. You might be a walker if you think Cape May, New Jersey was probably the Garden of Eden. You might be a walker if your snoring drowns out the 4th of July fireworks. 
You might be a walker if you have baby wipes and Chuck E. Cheese tokens in your wallet. <laughs> you might be a walker if your very presence at a party has the host nervous they don't have enough food. <laughs> Yesterday, I saw a little nervousness when the walker showed up. You might be a walker if you think that laughter is literally the best medicine, as well as desserts. You might be a walker if there exists a photo of you lying on the floor after breaking a chair. I don't know what you're talking about. I can prove it. I can prove it. You might be a walker if when you go to Rite Aid, they ask you if you want the usual. And you might be a walker when you, when you try to put a, a piece of furniture together, you need a helmet and a first aid kit nearby. Just a little illustration of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about someone today. We're going to talk about the church, but we're going to look at the angle of who church? Who is the church? Who makes up the church? We're not going to look at it in the course of what I just talked about. You may be the church if. We're going to look at what scripture says about it. And I ask you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1, or it's going to be on the screen, wherever you don't want to follow along with us. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 15 to 29. I'm not going to preach through this passage in an exposition sort of way, but I am going to use it as the backdrop for what we want to say this morning, what the Lord wants to teach us this morning. So follow along as I read sort of a lengthy passage from Colossians 1, 15 to 29. Listen to what it, the, the Apostle Paul says. He says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The subject today is the church, but the object is always the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do our best to link the two today, the Lord and his church. And we're going to talk about who church today. In order to talk about who church today, I want to recap a little about what we've already mentioned. We talked about what church, 
And we've talked about why church. And two weeks ago, we talked about what church. And we talked, first of all, about what is not the church. We laid four things before you that is commonplace for what people call the church today. But according to God's word, he does not think this is the church. And the first one is the building. The church is not the building that we gather in. And I know it's really common to say that. Let's go to church. Let's meet at the church. But according to God, again, he does not consider the building the church. The second thing that the church is not is the service or the event that we're doing here on Sundays. This is not the church either. The church is also not the leaders of the church. They are part of the church, but the leaders do not make up God's church. According to God, the church is also not referring to just the Christian religion. Those are four things we look at that this commonplace in our day and age of what we call the church, but according to God, he does not consider those things the church. And then we looked at what is the church. And again, this is according to God. We looked at, number one, according to God, the church is God's special people group. God has a people that he loves, that he cherishes, that he gives his special love to, and that is the church. The second thing the church is, according to God, is the bride of Christ. And we talked about what that means. We are preparing ourselves, getting ourselves ready for when we will meet the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day and enter into an eternal union with him. So the church is the bride of Christ. The third thing it is, is redeemed souls that have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is only given to God's church to do things that they otherwise cannot do, which is God's work. The next thing the church is, is an eternal family unit. All of us who are in Christ are a family, and that family will exist forever. And that's a, that's a wild thing to know. That's a cool thing to know, that this family that we have will never dissipate, will never go away. The final thing you see in God's word that he refers to as the church is his singular plan to accomplish his will on the earth and to defeat evil. And there is no plan B. There is no contingency. Jesus does not have a backup plan. It's the church or bust. And as we talked about, his plan will not bust. He will accomplish his plan through the church. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Mel talked to us about why church or why the church. And I know that screen is a little bit hard to read, but these are the things that he focused on. Number one, why the church? Because the church is God's plan. And anything that is God's plan is something worth getting behind, isn't it? Because it's God's plan. Number two, this is another really important one. God loves his church. Anything that God loves is worth investing in because God cherishes his church. The next thing is the church is big. And it's what God is doing in the world today. It's really worth our time and our investment. There is nothing bigger. There is nothing more important than the church. And the fourth thing Pastor Mel spoke on and focused on was that God wants his people committed to and involved in his church. And he really does. He wants us all investing, using our gifts and abilities into what he considers the most important thing that he's doing on the earth. So what church? Why church? And today we're going to look at who church? Who is this church? And it's a little bit different than what church. We talked about what it is, but who does make up the church? That's what we're going to look at today. And as I see from scripture, honestly, cover to cover, I find one qualifier. One qualifier that makes you the church. And this qualifier is really simple, but the most incredibly profound thing. The one qualifier is believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you are a part of his bride. You are a part of God's people. You are a part of God's singular plan to defeat evil. 
because you believe in his son. That's that simple. But he has put everything, and that's why I read this passage from Colossians. He has put everything upon his son, Jesus. If you find Jesus, you find everything. If you miss out on Jesus, you miss out on everything. And that's Wyoming Valley Church is going to say that like a broken record. It's always been Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. So this one qualifier is simple, but it's incredibly profound to believe in Jesus. And I, I'm guessing that most of us believe that we have believed in Jesus. I do. I did for a long time in my life. But I want to look at five things. Five things that the Word of God puts forward that if you believe in Jesus, these are true about you. Because although believe in Jesus sounds simple, and it is simple, it's supposed to be simple. There are five things that I can see Scripture puts forward that will be a part of every single believer. And this is the way you can validate whether you are a believer in Jesus or you're not a believer in Jesus. Because maybe you're shocked by this, maybe you're not, but 75% of our country believes they are believers in Jesus. 75%, according to the stats. So three-fourths of the people believe they, too, believe in Jesus. So these are five tests that God's Word gives us. Five things that every single believer in Jesus will have. And if you're missing one of these, um, that's crucial. That's crucial to think about and to consider and to take it to God and say, God, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. So the, we're going to look at these very briefly. Number one, it has to start here, is you must be born again. That's a term you probably have heard, but that actually comes from Scripture. In John chapter 3, he's talking to a man called Nicodemus, and he's telling Nicodemus, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be a part of God's church, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is rightly confused about that, going, how is that supposed to happen? How am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb again? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about physically being born again. He's talking about spiritually being born again. He's talking about a new soul, a new heart, something that transforms you from the inside out. Jesus says, it's a must. If you want to be a part of God's family, you must be born again. But I think as we looked at our first John study several weeks ago, we looked at this idea of being convinced about Jesus. Convinced about Jesus. Yes, you can say believe in Jesus, but I think you can also say convinced about Jesus. And I think that kind of goes together with born again. Because when you're born again, you are convinced. And when you are convinced about Jesus, you must have been born again. And I want to highlight this one because this one right here is God's role. God does the saving work. All of it. A to Z. He decides whose heart to soften, whose soul to open their eyes and let them see Jesus. And you will know if that happened in your life because it's so profound. And I can think back to the time in my life where everything changed. Everything changed. I was convinced about Jesus. I was seeing Jesus in a new light than I've ever seen him before, and I wanted to give my life to him. And I had never done that before. Something transferred in my life. Something happened in my life that was significant. And so three things under this is you have to have new life. We talked about that. You must have this new, profound, spiritual life. And if you don't know what that is, then you need to explore that. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Mel. Come talk to any of us. Go directly to God and say, God, what is this new life? It's not just church going. It's not just being part of the Sunday morning service. It's actually new spiritual life. God, what is that? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Apostle Paul says, referring to people who have been born again, all things have become new. 
Everything is brand new. It's a brand new life. It's a brand new direction. It's a brand new sight that you have. You set your eyes upon Jesus. He becomes obvious. And here's the second thing. You can now see spiritually for the first time because all of us start out dead in our sins. And when Jesus gives you this new life, you can see. And if you remember in when Jesus was living upon the earth, sometimes he would heal people who were actually blind, right? Blind men would come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, please heal me. And I'm thinking of this one instance where he told this guy to put some mud on his eyes. And when he did, the scales fell off his eyes. And for the first time ever, the man could see. And I had to, exp I had to imagine what that must have been like for a man who had never seen anything. For the first time to see creation and the sky and birds and trees and clouds and everything. And take it all in for the first time. Imagine how profound that experience would be when you can go, I can see for the first time. But that's kind of the parallel for what happens spiritually. When you see Jesus, it all changes. It all changes. It has to change because you're locking your spiritual eyes with the Lord himself. And what happens is Jesus becomes obvious. He becomes obvious. He doesn't become one of several things. He becomes your Lord and your Savior, and there is no other. When you discover and come to Jesus Christ, it is such a profound experience that Jesus becomes obvious. Consider if that has happened in your soul. If it has happened, I don't know if it happened in a moment or a day or anything like that, but I know that you would remember that because it's so incredibly profound to wake up spiritually from the dead and to finally see for the first time and say, I get it now. I get it, Jesus. You're obvious. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. And you are incredibly valuable to my soul. So those are three things under this idea of being born again. That's the first thing, and that's God's role. There's no way for you and I to make that happen in our lives except by God's power and work. So the only person you can go to to get that to have happen is God himself, Christ himself. Go directly to the Lord and say, Lord, I need this. I need you to, to do this for me. And God, by his grace and by his mercy, will. He will. Seek him until you find him, the scripture says. But without this, you cannot call yourself a believer in Jesus. You can't. Because you don't really believe if you cannot see spiritually. Jesus might be someone you believe to be important, but unless you're convinced and unless you're born again, he won't be your Lord, he won't be your Savior, he won't be obvious to you. So that's the first thing that God's word pours over this idea is we have to have this born again experience. The second thing, and we're going to enter into our role now, because we do have a role in believing in Jesus. God doesn't just drag us kicking and screaming saying, you're going to believe. He softens our heart. He opens our eyes. He sets our eyes upon Jesus Christ. And then he says, do what is obvious now. And so the first thing we find under our role is this idea of repentance. Repentance. Repentance really, the word means to turn around. It means to change your mind first and foremost, but it also means to turn around spiritually. I don't know if you've ever done that on the road. I've mentioned to you several times I get lost a lot. I don't know what it is. My directional ability is just bad. So several times I will be cruising down a road in full confidence until I realize I'm on the wrong road. And what has to happen when you're on the wrong road? Just keep driving. You'll figure it out. No, you got to turn around. you got to humble yourself and go, wow, I'm going the wrong way, and I have to turn around. And really, that's what repentance is spiritually. 
you have to admit you're wrong. I'm going the wrong way. I'm doing the wrong things. I have been breaking God's laws. And God says, okay, turn around. Turn around. Because you can. Because you can turn around. Because of this born-again experience, God has softened your heart. God has given you his grace. He's given you his mercy. And he says to you, you can turn around. Now that you recognize you're going the wrong way, child, turn around. Because you can. But to go along with that, we must. We must. Because we cannot keep our sins and have Jesus too. Jesus and sin, God and sin, are mortal enemies. And we cannot have both. If we are to have Jesus, we must break up with sin. And if we do not divorce our sin, we will not have Jesus because they are completely opposite directions. So let's imagine in this scenario, sin is south. Christ is north. In order to follow Christ, you have to let your sin go entirely. You have to turn around, you have to divorce it, whatever term you want to use, and say we're done. And God gives you the power to do that. That, again, is God's power that causes that. But you and I have to make the decision Before God, I'm going to believe in Jesus from now on. I'm not going to follow my sin. I'm not going to follow the pattern of this world. I am going to follow the Lord Jesus because he's obvious, because he's good, because he's my Savior, and because you hate sin. God, he hates it. God hates sin. And a couple weeks ago, we illustrated this idea of repentance with the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a man who was a friend of Jesus. And in this story in the scriptures, Lazarus dies, and Jesus goes to his tomb, and the man had been dead for four days. And Jesus said something to the people there. He said, I want, Jesus, uh, Lazarus was in a tomb, and he said, I want you to roll the stone away. And everyone's concerned, saying, not a good idea, Jesus. He's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. He's dead. There's nothing you can do. But Jesus said, roll the stone away. And he yelled into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And guess what happened? Lazarus came out. He emerged from the tomb, alive. Well, what had to happen were two things. Someone had to raise Lazarus from the dead. Because even if you say, come out or go to the hospital to a dead man, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing will happen because he's dead. He cannot respond. So the fact that Lazarus could respond to that must have meant, number one, he was born again. He was made new. He was alive. But second of all, Lazarus had to come out, didn't he? He had to leave his burial clothes. He had to leave his tomb. And that's the idea of sin. This is the idea of repentance, is we have to come out. We have to recognize we are in our sins, and Christ has unlocked the chains, and now we are free to go. And we must get up and go and leave our sins. So that's the second thing, and that's our role. God leaves that to us to say, this sin that you're living for, that you're living in, is evil. It breaks my heart. It hurts me. It hurts my people. You have to let it go. And in that passage in Acts chapter 2, Peter is saying that to the very people who are listening. He touches their heart, the Spirit touches their heart, and they say to Peter, Peter, what must we do? And he says, repent and believe in Jesus. Come out from your sins and now follow the Lord himself. So that's number two. If you want to be a part of the church, if you want to be a part of Jesus, you must repent. And repentance is not necessarily just a one-time act. It begins your journey. When you come out from your sins and you break up with your sins and say, I'm done with you, there starts a journey of this ongoing repentance because you are not perfect at that moment. What you are is you're awake and you're aware of sin. But as you walk and follow the Christian life, you are made aware of even more sin in your life 
And every single time God shows you sin, you must come out, repent of that sin. So that's a characteristic of everybody who is a believer in Jesus. They hate sin. Sin is their enemy because it's God's enemy. And every time there is sin made known to them, they have to break up with it because it hurts God and it is nothing he has for us. Uh, the, The third thing, but the second thing under our role, is to be baptized. If you want to be a true believer in Jesus, he says in Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I don't think baptism saves you. I will say that confidently. But it is a part of God's plan for your journey. It is a part of God's plan for your spiritual life. I don't think baptism is the moment of your salvation. I believe your spiritual awakening is your moment of salvation. But God does have baptism for every single one of us. He wants it. Because of two things. When we are baptized, we are basically making our vows to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying to the Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. If you guys have ever been in a wedding or to a wedding, you know what those vows are like when two people exchange those vows and say to one another, I'm yours. I'm no one else's. I'm yours. You're mine. I'm yours. I will love you to the end of time. Baptism, in a way, is saying that to the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. I will follow no other. I belong to you, you belong to me, and I want to publicly declare that today. Now, I do believe there is a future wedding ceremony in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't think that happens at baptism. So I'm going to call it, if you'll humor me, a betrothal period, or engagement period, maybe we can call it, where you're basically saying to the Lord, I'm putting the ring on, I'm baptized, I am yours, Lord, until the end. I will not leave you, and one day I will prepare myself so that I can actually be with you forever. But the second thing that baptism is, it's a public testimony to those who are there that you fellowship with Jesus. And this fellowshipping with Jesus is really important because it means a couple things. Jesus hated sin. Jesus did everything he could to obey the will of God. And by fellowshipping with Jesus, you're basically saying the same thing. I'm going the exact way you go, Christ. But second of all, as Jesus was baptized, if you remember that, John the Baptist was able to baptize the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus went into the water. He came out of the water as an example for us. But Jesus also knows what it's like to be dead spiritually on the cross. Now, Jesus had never committed one sin. Jesus was pure and holy and upright his entire life. But on the cross, he knows what it's like for the Father to turn his back on him. Doesn't he? Because the sky went dark in the middle of the day. And the fellowship between the Lord and his Father was broken. But is that the end of the story? Is that the end of the story? Jesus dies and that's the end and Christianity stops? No, because something incredibly profound happened. Jesus arose from the grave. And this is what baptism signifies. You have been dead. You did die. You are dead. But when you trust in Jesus, you rise again. You get new life. You are now on solid ground and God considers you alive. And that's really what happens when you trust in Christ. And when you get baptized, it's a symbol of that. I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I have been dead, but I believe in Jesus. And because I believe in Jesus, I am alive forevermore. If you haven't been baptized or if you're still confused about baptism, I want you to come and talk to me. We think this is really important at Wyoming Valley Church to be baptized. So please, if this is something that you desire or something that you have not experienced, please come and talk to me. It's very 
simple, it's very quick, but it's very, very profound. And I, I pray that you'd come and talk to me. The next thing, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is a big one because it encompasses your entire life, is devoted to Jesus. Now, you guys know when you go to a, a wedding, vows are said, right? And sometimes those vows mean more than other vows because vows have to be followed by something, don't they? If you just say your vows to your future spouse and you don't back up those vows, are those vows any good? Do they matter? They don't matter. So even though you say your vows to the Lord, even, even though you get baptized, you have to follow your baptism with what we call devotion. Devotion to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 14. This is the one flip we'll do, the one cross-reference we'll look at today. Luke chapter 14, I want you to look at this passage from uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. It's one you've heard before, I'm guessing, but I want you to listen to the language of it. Luke 14, starting in verse 25, the Lord himself says this, or excuse me, the writer of Luke says this about the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied him. And Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times the Lord reiterates, this devotion to himself. In the beginning, it's a little confusing when he tells you to hate people. Don't take that too literally. God is not telling you to ha actually hate anybody. What he's telling you is that your devotion to him must so rise above any other love that you have, it will pale in comparison. To such a degree, it may look like hatred because you are so singularly devoted to the Lord. And so the Lord is basically telling us today, nothing can be held back from me. Nothing. And if you remember number one, the first thing we talked about is new birth, new life. You can see for the first time, Jesus will become obvious. When you have that sort of experience, you understand the value and the worth of Jesus. And it happened all over scripture. People who were going one way, they encountered Jesus, they gave up their professions, they gave up their jobs, they gave up their sin, and they followed the Lord from that moment on because Jesus was obvious so nothing can be held back from the Lord and anything that is held back from the Lord is something we call an idol an idol because the Lord wants our singular devotion and he deserves it if you know anything about Christ and we're going to get back to this he deserves our singular devotion under devotion as well we have to trust his plan there's an element, a big element of trust in the Christian life because the world all likes to offer us things too. The devil himself likes to give us things as well and say, do this, follow this, this is important, this is fun, this is a way to live, this is a lifestyle, here's a purpose. Do this. It gives you instant gratification, instant feedback. You can have immediately what you want right now. 
But when you follow Jesus Christ, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of wait. There's a lot of not yet. There's a lot of trust the system. When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you have treasures coming that will blow your mind, but you will not see them yet. You must trust. You must trust my plan. You must trust my system. And really, when you do that, you're acting exactly like the church. When you say, you're right, the world has things to offer me. A lot of them are fun. A lot of them I can have immediate feedback and instant joy and pleasure from, but they will pass away. And the things that the Lord has for me will never pass away. These treasures will live on into eternity. And God says, trust my system. Trust. And if you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, there are countless people in all of Scripture who did that, who trusted God's system, who went Christ's way, and honestly never really received their treasures. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that the world was not worthy of them because they trusted God's system. They went his way. And those people today and for the rest of time are reaping those rewards and those benefits. Those treasures will never go away. So the fourth thing, if you want to be a believer in Jesus, you have to devote yourself to Jesus. You have to say to him, I'm yours. Wherever, however, however long it takes, Father, show me the way. And the fifth thing, and this is going back to God's role. God gives us this. If we are the church, we will be protected by, instructed by, and empowered by our God. Because what he is calling us to do is impossible without his help. And he knows that. And so he says, if you repent, if you are baptized, and if you devote yourself to my son, I'm going to give you everything you need. Everything. You're going to have the power. You're going to have the protection. You're going to have the instruction. You're going to know the way to go. You're not going to misstep, not fatally. Because I will be there next to you. I will give you exactly what you need. And this is what we call God's covenant love. God gives his covenant love to his people, the church, because he loves them and because he wants them to finish where he wants them to finish, which is the kingdom of God. So he gives special love and special grace to this people group. He gives them his power in full so that they can remain faithful to his son. And if God didn't do that, none of us would finish. None of us could accomplish what we are expected. So if you notice those five things, how does it start and how does it end? With God. Doesn't it? You have to be born again by God through the Holy Spirit, and you have to be empowered, protected, and instructed by God. But it's not void of a role from us, is it? It has a role. We have to repent, we have to be baptized, and we have to stay devoted to the Lord Jesus. Those are five things that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, all five of those things will be apparent in your life. You have been born again. You have repented of your sins, are repenting of your sins. You have been baptized or desire to be baptized. You're devoted to Jesus Christ, and you see God's power, instruction, and protection in your life. Is that you today? Is that you? Because it's still all under this one thing, believe in Jesus. But this belief in Jesus, like I told you, is so profound all five of these things are things you will experience. All five. And if you are a part of God's church, in Christ's church, you will be a believer in Jesus. And if you're not a believer in Jesus based on the word of God, 
you're still not yet the church. And that's something we have to take care of today. You can come speak to me. You can come pray with me. I can search the scriptures with you. And you can know how you can be a part of God's church starting this very day. And we will wrap around to that once again. But church, who church, what church? We've talked about this before, but there's a big, I'm going to use the word corporate church. I don't really like that word, but I'm trying to think of something big. There's a big corporate church around the globe, okay? That means every single Christian around this globe. That In China, in Canada, in Russia, in Germany, in England, everyone who's, a, who's part of God's church is all around this globe. And that's what we would call, I guess, the corporate church. But there's also smaller local bodies of church that we have right here called Wyoming Valley Church. And when you believe in Jesus, you belong to both. You belong to a local body, Lord willing, and you belong to his big corporate body, the church. But God wants us to invest our time and our energy into a local body. He does. He wants us to find a local body, a local church, and say, invest. Give your gifts. Put your abilities into this church. Put your time into this church. Give to this church so that this church can have what it needs to have in order to accomplish my will because you're a family unit and you're one body. Even though all of us are individual people, when we come together, we're one big spiritual body. There are hands, there are feet, there are ears, there are eyes. Every single person has a different role, but when it all functions together, the whole thing works. And God says to us, find that local body and invest. They need you, and you need them. And when you're working properly and when you're investing properly, this thing is going to move, and it's going to move well, and it's going to move in a profound direction, and it's going to advance the kingdom of God. And our devotion to Jesus is seen, validated, and proven by our love and devotion to his local church. It is. You can't say to the Lord, Lord, I love you. You're mine. I'm yours. I'll do whatever. No, I'm not going to church. No, I don't have time. No, I don't like those people. They're weird. No, you can't say that because that is God's church. That is his family. If you want to remain devoted to the Lord Jesus, you have to invest in his local church. It has to happen. And without investing in his local church, you have no proof that you are devoted to Jesus either because the church, as Pastor Mel spoke on last week, is God's plan. It's not man-made. Isn't that great to know? There are a lot of man-made things in this world that will rise and they will fall. But God's church will last forever because it's made by him. So when we trust his plan, when we invest in his church, it's proof that we are devoted to the Lord Jesus. We're going to look at who church from one more angle before we close today. Who church? I want to look at it from this idea of identity. And again, that's one of the reasons I spoke, I read from Colossians chapter 1, is it brings out this identity if we belong to God's church, our identity is no longer in ourselves. Did you know that? If you belong to Christ, excuse me, if you belong to Christ's church, your identity is no longer in yourself, but in Christ Jesus himself. Amen? Your, ident your identity is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus himself. Let me try and illustrate this for you. Yes, there's a passage from Colossians 1. I want you to listen to this again. He says, and he, referring to Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that everything he might be preeminent or supreme. When Janine married me almost 10 years ago, where is Janine, by the way? She left. She couldn't take it. She hears too much of me. Um, almost 10 years ago, Janine got married to me. I got married to Janine. And when, that, when we got married and said our vows to each other, something legal happened. Janine became Mrs. Janine Walker. Before that, she was Janine Thurmond. 
daughter of Steve and Mary Ann Thurman. And when she got married to me, she became Mrs. Janine Walker. Or even legally, you could say this, she became Mrs. Todd Walker. We have gotten mail that has said that exact thing to Mrs. Todd Walker. And that's not referring to me. I'm not a Mrs. I don't think. It's referring to my wife. She is Mrs. Todd Walker. And even the legal side of our earth recognizes that when you get married, your identity changed if you are the bride. And Janine, in many respects, in many ways, took on my identity. And Janine Thurman no longer exists. There might be other Janine Thurmans in the world, but that Janine Thurman is no longer exist. She is now Mrs. Janine Walker. And that's an illustration of what we're talking about today, because in so many profound ways, when we are betrothed to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, we take on his identity. And we look forward to the culmination of one day taking on every single part of his identity when we're married to him in heaven. And that's what we call the bride of Christ. That's why it's called the bride of Christ, because we are his bride. And when I trust in Jesus Christ, I become part of him. I become like him. I become with him. I become unified with him. And the church is no longer a place or an event. It's my identity as the bride of Christ. And don't you want that? Don't you want to be married to the Lord Jesus? Don't you want for whatever comes to Jesus to come to you? The Apostle Paul thought that. In Galatians 2.20, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that from Paul? I am no longer Saul of Tarsus. I am crucified with Christ. I belong to Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I love that passage because Paul got it. His identity was Christ. His identity was the church, and he was thrilled by that. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a task. He wanted to be in union with the Lord. Why, of course, wouldn't he want to? The Lord had done so much good for Paul. Listen to what Paul says again in Romans chapter 7. Verse 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So you used to be married to this thing called the law, the old ceremonial law that treated you harshly. You, weren't able to, you were never able to satisfy the law. The law was never happy with you. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, the law and you die to one another. That relationship ended. And now you belong entirely to Christ. And you know the difference between Christ and the law? The law is harsh. And the Lord is gentle and compassionate and helpful and loving and patient and kind. And the law beat us down. You are not good. You cannot accomplish me. You cannot do this. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will help you, child. I will help you go the right way. So when you trust in Jesus Christ, you die to the law and you belong to another. And I think that's a wonderful par parallel of this marriage that we're talking about with Christ. Our identity is now in Jesus and with the church. We died to sin and now we belong entirely to the Lord. 
So our, our identity, our very identity as the church is in Christ Jesus. Who church? Christ's church. Meaning the church is not about Todd Walker. It's not about Mel Walker. It's not about any of us. Our church, their DNA, this DNA of Wyoming Valley Church is purely Jesus. Isn't that a good thing to know? Here's another illustration. Uh, over the course of my life, I have actually received good treatment from people because my last name is Walker. I'm serious. There have been people who have been kind to me, who have been generous to me because of my mom and dad. If you're one of them, you must be like them, and I'm going to love you too. I had a professor in college actually give me mercy on one of my papers because he said, you're of good stock. Because you're a walker, I'm going to give you extra grace. We have a guy who constantly ministers to us and loves us and does things for us. And he told me one day the reason he's so kind to us. He says, because your dad invested in me. Your dad loved me. And I will love you always because you're a walker. And that's a cool thing to know. Do you see what I'm talking about here today? My identity as a walker is increased because of my mom and dad's value. And I think that's an amazing thing to know. But how much more so with Christ? How much more so with the Lord Jesus himself? That if we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we get from God? What do we get from God the Father when he links us with his Son? We get whatever Jesus gets. Whatever belongs to Jesus comes to us. Whatever Christ says, whatever he does, whatever he hates, whatever he loves, Christ instructs us, Christ loves us, Christ protects us, Christ matures us because we're his bride. And we only have to concern ourselves today with one question. This one question. Are we in Jesus? Are we in Jesus? If we are in Jesus, we are a part of his church, we are part of God's singular plan to accomplish his will and to conquer evil. And whatever Jesus gets in this life and the next, and that you can look at that from two ways. If whatever Jesus gets, I get. Okay, let's look at it from the angle of the world. Whatever Jesus got in the world also comes to me. What did Jesus get in the world? Rejection, mocking, abuse, death. If we follow Jesus Christ, our lives will be similar to that. But that is not the end of the story. Because you can look at it from another angle. It says in Philippians 2 that because of what Christ has done, he was highly exalted. He was given the name that is above every name. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is on the right hand next to the Father. And his inheritance is coming one day. And it will blow our minds. But you know what's amazing about that? That inheritance is also ours because we're with Jesus. And that's, a, that's it. That's, that's the only reason. If we're with him, we get whatever he gets. Whatever is worthy of Jesus comes to me also because I'm his church. Are you starting to see that? How valuable it is to be a part of Christ's church? There exists no better identity than being a part of Christ's church. And I'm going to give you seven reasons to finish here. Seven reasons that our identity being in the church is the best thing for us. Number one, our sins are paid for. Our sins are paid for. If you know scripturally what it says about sin, it says the wages of sin is death. And if you have to pay for your own sins on the last day, all you will get is death. 
But if your sins are paid for, you know what you get? Eternal life with God. And that's the second thing. If our identity is the church, we have hope of eternal life. And we live in a scary place, don't we? This place is scary. This world is scary. There's a bunch of people who want to hurt us. There's a bunch of ailments that can come to us. Our life is fragile. But if you have hope of eternal life, death does not need to scare you. Death does not need to bully you. Death does not need to taunt you because death is a passageway to better life in Christ. The third thing that exists if our, de- or if I, our identity is in the church is we have the best purpose that ever existed on this planet. There are a lot of good purposes, but no purpose is better than God's church because it will live on into eternity. And I wish I could uh, highlight and um, mention that more and, and elaborate on that more, but we just don't have the time. But I want you to think about that. That's the best purpose that ever existed is God's church. We have the almighty God fighting for us. That's number four. The almighty God fights for me. When I face the devil and his minions and all the spiritual attacks of my mind, the Lord fights for me. The Lord fights with me. The Lord stands next to me. The Lord protects me. The Lord does not let me become fatally damaged by the devil because he gave his life for us. Number five, our value is the same as Christ's value in God's eyes because we are Christ's bride. One last illustration. Janine, when she got married, became valuable to someone else, my parents. My wife is valuable to my parents because she's linked to me. And my wife's value now to my parents, I believe, is the exact same as my value to my parents. If they would lose Janine, it would be like losing a daughter. Do you see that? If we are linked to Jesus Christ in God's eyes, our value is the same as Jesus. And he does not want to lose us. He is not going to lose us. He is going to fight for us. He is going to protect us. He is going to lavish us with his grace and his gifts so that we can accomplish his will because he loves his son. And his son loves us. Number six, the reason there exists no better identity than the church is if the fact that we are on the winning team and we are investing for all of eternity. The greatest thing about the church, the greatest thing about living for Christ is that everything you do according to Christ is right. Everything you invest in is eternal. Everything you do is a winning strategy. What in this world can pale in comparison to that? Nothing can. Nothing can give you that kind of guarantee to say everything you do according to this will work. Everything you do according to this will make you richer. Everything you do according to this will extend your life forever. But Christ Church can. Number seven, we get to serve God while on the earth. And that's a privilege, and I hope you see that as a privilege. We get to serve God with, on the earth. If anyone asks you ever, what do you do? What do you do? I'm a pastor. I work. I do this. I do that. If you're a Christian, if you're a part of Christ Church, you can say this and you can mean it. I serve the one true God. That is what I do as my purpose on this earth. I serve the one true God. So who is this church? In its simplest form, the church is anyone connected to and loved by Jesus. Is that you today? 
Are you connected to and loved by Jesus? If so, why does this knowledge change our lives? Why is this a life-changing message? Because if we believe this, if we believe in this Lord, if we are connected to this church, you know what we can do? We can stop looking around. We can stop looking around for something else to give ourselves to and be passionate about. And we can go all in for the church and begin investing everything we have in it. When I found Janine in Michigan, I stopped looking around and I said, she's the one. I don't need to look around anymore. I found her. She is the one for me. When we find Christ, when we find our purpose in the church, we too could stop looking around and say, I found my Lord. I found my purpose. I found everything I have. Several in this room have done that, haven't you? You found Christ and you said, I'm done looking around. I found him. I found my cherished one. I found my treasure. I found the one who was precious to my soul. There's someone in this room recently who's done that. Grace, I don't want to embarrass you too much, but Grace, you're a person who floundered for a lot of your life, who went to and fro from different things, back and forth, trying to find something. And you know what recently happened to Grace? She found the Lord Jesus Christ. And she told me from her own words, glory to God, glory to God. She told me in her own words, I'm done looking around. I found my Lord. I found my Lord Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? Today we need to answer three questions, three crucial questions we need to answer yes to. Number one, are we a part of Christ's church by believing in Jesus the way the scriptures describe? Are we a part of Christ's church by believing Jesus the way the scriptures describe? Remember the five things. That's really important. If those five things seem foreign to you, please come and speak to me because your belief in Jesus is not valid. It is not true. It is not according to God's word. It's been handed to you by the devil. It's a forgery. And you can have the real thing today. Born again, repentant, baptized, devoted to Jesus. Number two, are we convinced that Christ Jesus is our identity and that what he says is our law? Because when you understand that about Christ Jesus, you want to. You do. You want to follow him. You want to do what pleases him. I want to do that for my wife. That's, that's not a chore for me to please my wife. I love her. And number three, have you stopped looking around for something else to be passionate about? And have you gone all in for Christ's church? If you're still looking around for something, someone to give yourself to, you haven't found Jesus yet. Because once you find Jesus and once you experience his love, nobody can match that love and you will stop looking around if you are not the church today you have no identity that matters you'll be forgotten forever if you are not the church today you are not god's people god does not protect you he does not instruct you he does not empower if you are not the church you are not the bride of christ christ will cast you away in the last day because he has a bride already if you're not a part of that bride if you're not the church, you have no purpose that matters for eternity. As the old King Solomon said, vanity of vanities, a chasing after the wind. But if you are not the church today, you can become a part of the church today. Turn to Jesus with every part of you. Hold nothing back. Turn around, admit your wrong, throw yourself upon his mercy, and he will give you new life. And you will know when he gives you new life. You are welcome to come to Jesus today and find life if you don't have that. Please come and talk to me. 
Go to God directly, whatever step you need to take. Because when you come to Jesus, you find your purpose, you find your meaning, you find your identity, and you find your God's love forever. Amen? Amen. Jesus is worthy to have his church head over heels for him because he first loved us and he has the scars to prove it. Are you a part of Christ's church today? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this message on who church, why is it so important to be a part of your church. Father, the church gets a bad name a lot. It gets a bad rap. But this church is so precious in your eyes, and I pray that we would understand that today. We wouldn't shrug away from the church. We would embrace it as our true identity, our true purpose. We would find everything we need in Christ Jesus himself. Father, speak to the souls here today. Do what only you can do, Father, if there are dead souls here who do not know Jesus and raise them from the dead and set their eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you all glory for all the good that is in our life and in our soul. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.